Right, we're rolling. On this podcast, we'll be talking about different areas of business and all things marketing. My name is Dave Doyle. And I'm Dave Alton. This is Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 3 of Social Antics, another marketing podcast. You're joined by me, Dave Doyle, and my co-host Dave Alton. How are you this week, Dave? Um, Covid is back with a vengeance. Um, no points. No, well, no points, but... Points outside, in the, cold. in the cold, and the rain, and the... Look, it's for public safety. I actually thought they should have went to level 5, just lock, lock everything down. Controversial. Lock it down. But everyone, like, what we're, what's going to happen is we'll be jumping in and out of this for months. As far as I can see, do you know what I mean? The medics are saying, we're, that's where we're going." I'm not a med- I'm not a medic. I don't know, so I tend to listen You're to people who know what they're talking about. I'm an academic doctor, <laughs> fake doctor, doesn't count. But uh, I don't know. Look, it's it's tough again. Like I mean, again, like we were talking in episode one about COVID and local businesses, yeah. and even there now, like businesses like bars, for example, who would have invested a huge amount of money in COVID-proofing their bar, for in, example, inside the bar. Inside yeah. the bar some of them spending millions restructuring the whole uh, the whole inside of their property and all of a sudden they can't use it it's all outside so no I tell you look it's 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 really it's really really tough for people it really really is um, I do I do think level four is definitely going to happen I think it was like the level five thing I thought was just a, it definitely was a scare thing probably at the start but we're on route to level four I think I don't know I don't know I'm not sure again the, the dad is not looking good anyway so look we'll, we'll see. see how it goes next we'll check back in next week yeah that's a depressing start <laughs> to the, the podcast anyway um, um, so I suppose look uh, like always couple of news items and then we'll get into a focus topic uh, this week we decided to look at the whole area of woke marketing and we'll get into that later on but uh, any news popping up for you uh, one thing that I suppose n- news in a way like I mean so a lot of our listeners a lot of our listeners one or two of our listeners <laughs> may have seen uh, the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix which is talking about basically it's about the course of powers of big tech companies mm-hmm. and how they use psychological tools tricks tactics to make us addicted to these products we keep on coming back to them and then over time as we are addicted they monetize us we are essentially the product and what was interesting is that the documentary was a documentary it's been well documented the damage of social media big tech does to people the manipulative tools that they use however what was interesting is that facebook actually released a response to the documentary basically kind of damning them for over kind of over exaggerating the damage that social media has done and uh, there was a really really good article by um, Andrew Hutchinson in social media today and he basically picked apart each of the different areas that um, that Facebook responded to and like I'll just read out like I read out a few of them here just for the and offer my own rebuttal in terms of why Facebook is fundamentally wrong and just incredibly damaging to society and they don't even want to admit it so on social media addiction, Facebook said in their um, in their response that we prioritize meaningful social interactions. And um, social media has been proven to be very dystopian in terms of minimizing the amount of social interactions that we have. Even though we have more social action social interactions, they're not as meaningful. We don't meet people in person as, as much as we do. And in particular, I suppose if you look at the addictive properties of social media and the real impact of that, so. If you look at the stats, in particular looking at um, teen girls, uh, self-harm amongst teen girls has gone up 300% uh, in the last uh, seven years. Um, suicide rates have doubled since 2007, again amongst teen girls. And a study by uh, Penn State showed that 35% of teen girls um, who are depressed experience harassment or bullying online. And there's like this isn't just me plucking random figures. There are numerous studies showing um, that the damage that social media does particularly to teen girls no you can see it it's just pure there's this pressure to um, to be this ideal person Do you it's know? FOMO uh, that's, that's what, what it is it's yeah, all it FOMO is. and I said so like if you're if you're if you're scrolling incessantly through particularly if you're if you're in, if you're in your teens and you're scrolling through people kind of living their perfect lives yeah. when everything is filtered doctored photo taken god knows how many times and you're seeing all of this coming through in your feed. I suppose the for me, what's really, really interesting is that if you look at consumer culture, consumer culture is generally constructed by the media through advertising, Hollywood and so on and so forth. 
now the most insidious thing is that those companies the traditional kind of media powers don't even have that much traction anymore so it's actually the people who are fueling all of this kind of yeah. want for more um which again is it's, it's what these it's what these social media platforms do they are they are addictive i think it was, it was definitely interesting to see facebook taking the stance but i think it was actually fairly long for them to come back and take a stance on it like this this show has been out a while now well, I take look, look. Facebook responds to this stuff, but I mean, what they what they say just doesn't like. I mean, even if they admit it in some way that some of the stuff they do is is wrong and they need to fix it, then it'll be saying something. But they're not. Like I'll read out a few more. Um, when they were talking about um, so in the documentary, they ba- the, uh, the documentary makers basically say that um, the people who use the social media platforms are the product of the social media platforms. And Facebook responded with, "We don't sell your information to anyone. Yeah. Like we know that you don't sell the physical information, but you have the most powerful ad platform in the world, which marketers can then use to target you all over the internet with very, very." manipulative content and influence you to buy certain products and it, was definitely, it was definitely really interesting that, that quote in it that I can't, I can't remember the guy that said it but he basically said if you're using a free platform the product is not free you are the product basically. you are the pro- you are the product and I mean dad I mean dad is king I mean Facebook and again their business model is their business model is basically genius like yeah. do you know what I mean in terms of how they've actually and we talk, might talk about that I'll talk about that a little bit later on but I mean if you can take something which people are addicted to and they're going to keep on coming back to it. And by coming back to it, Facebook have a load of different data points. So they really understand your behavior and who you are as a consumer. And it's actually really, really frightening. Like, I mean, in reality, um, your uh, Google is going to know whether you have some sort of serious medical condition probably before your partner does. Yeah. Because what you're Googling, do you know what I mean? So again, Google is God in this kind of world. And these social media networks are using that to, to sell us as um, to sell us as a product. And you, you mentioned there about the, the kind of keeping people engaged and keeping people involved and you know addicted they may they i think the film broke that down really really well in terms of you know it was like a, a couple of guys inside your brain um you know feeding you information feeding you the things you need to you know click the right endorphins i suppose and keep you on the platform so whether it's giving you a friend or a family photo is going to keep you engaged or you know it's going to give you a bit of news story that's happened just straight away but at and at all they know from your patterns of what you've done it's um, what gives you the dopamine hit yeah. like I mean if you if you look back at um, Cambridge Analytica and why they were so successful successful why they were really really good at what they did what they did was absolutely brutal um, in, term, in terms of hijacking elections but if you are able to not only know what someone is interested in in terms of a topic but also know okay this person is more influenced by podcasts this person is more influenced by reading blogs this person is more interested by whatever the case maybe all that kind of stuff then you can create a behavioural pattern of someone and then target them with not only the content that's going to influence them but via the actual medium which is going to influence them the most and you essentially guide people down a rabbit hole where over time uh, the information that they see is more and more polarised and I mean that's the most dangerous thing about social media like it's all driven by algorithms so if you take algorithms that know you know what you want before you even get there exactly and that's really really that's really really powerful so like if you if you take an election cycle at the moment for example and you take your standard we say 60 year old white American male a lot of the stuff that they see is going to be very very racist I would say um, or at least in the extreme right in terms of um, looking at ideologies and if this and it's it's not it can be fake news it can be exaggerated news but regardless of that if you're being fed a constant message over and over again and you don't have the opportunity because the algorithm is gauging content towards what you are seeing persistently then you don't have the opportunity to explore new ideas or to see what other people think of this because it's the same content over and over and over again now I know that you can say that well Fox News has been around for years and they're very very right wing but no one watched Fox News every minute of every day of the week. Yeah. People are on their phones all the time. So, I mean, it, it's it's basically Fox News on steroids in terms of the polarisation and the impact that can have on individuals within um, within society. I think it's also like important for anyone probably listening that is not involved in the world of maybe marketing or social media and just kind of on the outside listening in. This is not just social media in terms of your Facebook and Twitter and your Instagram or, or even Google this is even the likes of Spotify, Netflix, like, you know, it's giving you suggestions based on the content that you're um, consuming every day. You know, it's, it's following what you like, what, what they think you're going to like, and 
that's all the content that you're going to be facing. Yeah, like we can do a session on like machine learning at some point. But I mean, machines are built to understand our behavior. And if you can understand someone's behavior, if you even take the city that that you live in, if you could put a drone and follow someone every single day around a city... Would you be able to manipulate their buying patterns in terms of what ads they see, what signs they see? But that and that's exactly what's going on yeah. here because you have so many data touch points because you're interacting with these brands so often and in so many different ways and so persistently. Like there was a there was a study done a number of years ago, and they, I mean this this is just horrible. Like, I mean, but they basically showed that Facebook were able to tell whether a teenage kid was basically lonely or not yeah. because they'd start I mean the word is stalking but they'd basically go and look at all people who they would want to be friends with photos and they'd be looking at where people were last online because um, they hadn't responded to their message so again all this kind of behaviour that would point towards someone being lonely and then you could target them people course, when they're yeah. at the most vulnerable so again when a platform has that power you know it's going to be very, very manipulative. And that's like, we can talk about teenagers, we can talk about masses of people in elections. And again, I mean, the problem here is that when people look at the dad, you can say, oh, well, it's only a margin of people that are really swayed by votes, but margins win elections. We saw it by Brexit. We saw it when Trump got elected. So these even small number of people who can be manipulated ideologically um, can have a huge impact in the way the world goes and the way the world works. Um, yeah, so I suppose that another thing then that I like just just like talking about the the political marketing side of things. What I think is really really interesting way of actually discussing this and describing this is if you look at um Steve Bannon who was involved in uh, Cambridge Analytica a number of years ago who obviously took data from Facebook users. He created something called the Breitbart Doctrine. Now, what the Breitbart Doctrine basically said was that if you want to manipulate the political ideologies of a particular nation you first have to change the culture of a nation or you have to influence via culture. And how do you influence or how do you change culture? It's the units of culture uh, within that particular society. And again, if you take someone who's on social media as a unit or a person of, of, of a particular culture, then if you can manipulate thousands of these people, you can change culture and then you can change political ideologies beyond that. And again, that's how these platforms work. It's heavily heavily engineered to manipulate people's behavior and and look it works and again facebook i would argue is one of the most dangerous businesses in the world ever to be created and we've only kind of seen the start of it yeah and definitely at the times we're in now at the moment with the election in america kicking off again we're going to probably be talking about this a good bit over the coming weeks yeah and uh, i would say what well, i would say as well like what like i mean like like i'm an academic right so when i'm talking to my students i'm teaching them about this critically looking at the role of these big tech in society and the damage that they're doing and then week four or five I'm teaching them how to use these tools to sell products. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like there's both like there's both sides of the coin here that we have to look at. There's obviously the the kind of the the critique that you have of these platforms. But then as a marketer, you can't not use the platforms if you want to be really, really successful because yeah. they're so powerful. Do you know what I mean? So it's a dilemma that we have or an ethical dilemma as we call this um, as we call this full, full of morals. Full of morals. Is that what we call it? <laughs> no. Um that was a terrible title. <laughs> So a bit of news that caught my attention this week uh, was Twitter, we're both fans of that platform, are trying out um, new, just quote tweet. They're getting rid of the possibility of getting rid of uh, retweet. Uh, they're pushing for people to take more time and considering, I suppose, the response to tweets. Can you still like things? You can still like things. And you can technically you can still just retweet something by not putting in a comment, basically, and just tweeting it out. But it's more so trying to get people to to comment more it's going to be great for marketers because it's going to drive up engagement because more people are going to be commenting well not necessarily just because you can you can only engage in a certain way doesn't mean that you're going to switch your behaviour from something else like I mean I use Twitter quite a lot but I don't use it that much for conversations really I kind of look at look at it for news News. and stuff like that so I I, I'm not so sure about I like I know Instagram did it recently they got rid of the 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 social proof basically where you don't know how many people have liked a particular yeah you got the numbers are gone basically yeah unless you're unless you're on your computer you can only see it there but i think one thing that this is going to be very very clever when it comes to is a lot of people just retweet i think for the sake of retweeting you know you might see something you retweet or whatever but i think for media companies or news companies that are posting your articles that obviously live on look where's fake news or, or headlines um 
people don't read that stuff very often and they just retweet it and that's just circulating as Trump would say circulating fake news so I think now people that if they're going to be putting a bit of a comment on it or a bit more of a thought into what they're saying they might actually read the stuff a bit more and the circulation of they won't they won't read it they'll just they'll just the stuff that comes into their head will just end up on Twitter and it'll be just it'll just be a, ca- a cauldron of accelerated hate so basically. it's going to drive that negativity so it's like thinking. oh it's unbelievable like so so I think it was a comedian Darrell O'Brien described Twitter brilliantly one day and he said it's, it, the analogy was um, you know if you were selling guitar lessons and you go into your local shop and you put it up on the community notice board that I'm doing guitar lessons ring this number in a Twitter world you put that up on the notice board and someone taps you on the shoulder going why are you doing guitar lessons? I don't want guitar lessons. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Someone has to comment on absolutely everything that they're even not, that they're not educated towards. And I think that like, that's the, I mean, that's the beauty of Twitter in one way and that people can start getting involved in these really in-depth discussions or as in-depth as you can get in 240 characters. Mm. But that is another issue that it is only 240 characters. So how I much of an in-depth discussion... We won't go there now. I don't think it should be raised again. No, no, no. I don't No, I don't think it should be raised at all. But my point is that you're saying it should be engaged more. But how engaged can you possibly be only over 240 characters? No, what I mean is I think instead of just retweeting an article that you haven't bothered reading, you just like the headline, it might actually prompt you to read it and have a bit more of a, a thought on it, I suppose. Or actually have any bit of a thought on it whereas not just retweeting it yeah I don't know I, 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 don't, I don't see it really changing people's behaviour I think people look I think I think people engage in whatever way they want to engage I think a lot of people just retweet people like though they don't engage because they don't really engage in the comments section now, I suppose the one thing that I would say is that if there is if there is the way the algorithm works if there is no necessarily retweeting or there's not as much liking then possibly some of the comments on headline posts will be the ones that are trending as opposed to the headline posts in and of themselves. So if there is a debate there, then maybe the debate actually trends as opposed to just the headline. So that'll be interesting in terms of how it links in with the algorithm and stuff like that. But do I see it really increasing engagement? I'm not not really sure, to be honest. We'll see. We'll see. Any other news bits there from you? Um, Yeah, so just, I suppose, briefly. um, So... I suppose one of the things that I'd be quite interested in is is markets and what's happening in particularly in big tech um, and other industries as well. And last week, the big tech antitrust report was released by a bunch of Democratic lawmakers in the US. And uh, surprise, surprise, the report found that Amazon, Apple, Facebook and Google are deemed anti-competitive. Now, what I mean by that for some of our listeners who might, who might be interested in kind of markets and stuff like that is that ultimately the existence of these companies within their particular industry segments makes those segments entirely uncompetitive, i.e. there's no one to challenge them, there's no one who can claw back market mm-hmm. share from them because they've got so much power and they've got so much dominance. And like, look, it makes sense. Amazon... Amazon's market share of US e-commerce is about 50% of the whole market. There's more uh, consumers in the US um, have an Amazon Prime account than own a gun. And we know how Americans love guns. So, you know, like, I mean, this just shows you the dominance of this particular country or this particular, um, these particular players. Other examples then, for example, if you take um, Amazon and a a lot of brands rely on Amazon as third party sellers. It is essentially their gateway to a global market but what a lot of the reports have shown recently is that because Amazon has all the data of all the things these companies these third party providers are selling all of Amazon's own branded products are coming directly from the trends that they see within the marketplace and they've obviously got access to all of this data so again that is restrictive to SMEs who are looking to grow their business solely on Amazon um, and you can go through look you can go through other examples of that as well Facebook Google control 63% of the um, the global online advertising market that's just two companies with 63% again insane number and so many businesses are so reliant on Facebook and Google now to actually sell their products online that if those companies were taken away a lot of those those brands would actually fall away so like I mean look it, it shows that there is possibly a need for more regulation in some of these industries because as these companies get so big, it makes it very, very difficult for competition to emerge. But wasn't it a thing there for a while that they were wanting to actually break up? I'm not sure if it actually happened there or not. You no, they did. No, no, break. there's a lot. There's a, look, there's, a, there's been a lot. For a while there, there's been, like Bernie Sanders said it, Elizabeth Warren said it when they were both running for the um, 
the president the mm. presidential um, election this year um, where they said that what we should do is break up big tech the idea here is that if you break um, up we, big we, tech we talk about like that now so like facebook will be breaking into facebook messenger whatsapp instagram, instagram WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah yeah and the reason for that is that as soon as you have competitors in the marketplace then all of a sudden you start performing better you start innovating more and in many ways you actually start um in many ways you actually start behaving better as well so i've I've heard this on another podcast recently enough where someone said if you take facebook and we just spoke about how manipulative facebook is if you're on the board of a newly reformed instagram for example do you turn around and you go do you know what we're going to pitch to unilever that we are not going to have any we're going to create a product whereby all fake news can be filtered or there's no political advertising or or the algorithm is going to make sure that people see differing point of views to limit polarization we're going to sell this vision to the ceo of unilever because they want to be seen as an ethical company supporting so all of a sudden then these companies start playing off each other and they start creating better products both in terms of their profitability but also in terms of the benefit to society as well whereas at the moment no one can challenge Facebook because they're too big. But I think to even think about it on a simple point of view, any company that wants to say rival Facebook or any of these, you see the only companies we've kind of seen coming in that have made a bit of a splash in the last couple of years would have been Snapchat and then uh, TikTok. And, they're, the and is, they're, not even, they're not even close to the value of close, Facebook. They're not close, but the thing is, will they ever get to a level that they can compete with when their, their business model basically is not bringing in a massive amount of revenue because they're not selling ads and stuff? So is there actually ever going to be a chance of someone rivaling these companies but it's impossible so let me let me just so let me give an example now for example um, as a company which I I love the company anyway uh, Spotify um, and really really innovative company uh, coming out of uh, Sweden I think was the was where where it originated we'll check it Um, for next week we'll check it for next week (laughs) I'll probably have to withdraw that comment but anyway um, come out of Sweden um, who's their main competitor as like it wouldn't be mainstream. I'm going to say this wrong now, but YouTube, maybe SoundCloud, Apple Music, Apple Music, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously. So Apple Music. I don't come use. On, hold on This is going to be something we haven't talked about. YouTube, he says. I don't use Apple products. Yeah, there that's it is. true. That's I fair. hate them with a passion. So, I do not use them. So let's go back to the original point we were making. Spotify, a growing company, a far superior product to Apple Music. Um, where do you download Spotify if you've got an iPhone? The App Store. Now, if you're Apple and you control the ranking, turn them off. When so, yeah, exactly. When you're controlling the ranking, so if you type in music into the top of the app store, even though it's going to be Apple Music, and Spotify isn't even in second, it's down past the past the um, past the scroll. You have to scroll Mm -hmm. to get to it. So again, that just shows you that as these companies grow and they become dominant and they start controlling the channels and the supply chains that allow other companies to grow then it becomes incredibly difficult for these other companies to grow. It's only organic. So even if you take TikTok, for example, TikTok are an outlier um, in terms of how they manage to gain so much traction so quickly in the United States. But if I was to set up a new social media platform in the morning, the first place that I'd want to advertise it is Facebook and Instagram. And are they going to allow me to reach my audience using their platform, which is going to be a direct competitor of them? So as soon as a company gets too big, it gets impo- it's almost impossible for other companies to compete with that unless you engage in antitrust and start breaking these um, and start breaking these companies up. Now, again, I don't really. It's hard to know how antitrust works. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a solicitor. But just in terms of looking at the marketplace, and we said it in episode probably one or two. R and D nowadays should stand for read and duplicate. Yeah. All these companies are just copying each other. So if we want new innovative products that are going to benefit us as consumers and then possibly be better for society then these companies need real competition that can keep them on their toes effectively and that's not that's not what we're seeing at the moment mm. See, so going on to uh what we're going to focus on this week which was around the whole area of woke marketing which i think we might mention in a, in a one of the previous shows but um i suppose it's around the whole area of these kind of socially charged ads um that it's not not working to promote products, but I suppose more so addressing social issues that are happening at the time uh, by brands. So it's been coined as woke advertising. And for anyone that doesn't really know what woke means, it's a slang term uh, kind of referring to awareness of important facts or issues that are happening uh, currently. But um, in the brand, uh, sorry, in the past, brands have kind of stayed out of these kind of conversations and they kind of went down 
you know the safe route and not not talk about these uh, taboo uh, topics that are happening uh, in case of fear i suppose of alienating their audiences but now brands uh, are becoming more willing to take risky risky stands would you agree i suppose the, the issue that i have with this is that brands are now being kind of celebrated or, or they're being congratulated for denouncing like racism and it's kind of like well you should be doing that anyway do you know yeah. what i mean like i mean bra- brands are very very important culturally um, in terms of how we construct our own identities in terms of how we construct our own social selves um, they are very very important in terms of leading the way people think about things in terms of how they think about certain uh, cultures, nationalities, races and so on and so forth so brands are really really important in terms of the way society is constructed and okay certain brands are doing stuff in this particular area um, but I have an issue with it in that a lot of brands are being celebrated and they're getting a lot of kudos for just doing what should be just the norm or what should be just right and um, now i would say that a lot of brands aren't doing this as well so i mean that also needs to be called out more so but i mean it's a bit like look it, it is it can be a little bit depressing when you are looking at brands um being celebrated for just doing the right thing i, th- I think um one thing that kind of gets to me is i think it's brilliant that you know some of them will come out and make a really positive stance on it, and we might talk about some of them in a while but one of the things that I kind of not have a bit of beef with but just kind of gets me every time is not so much a stance on something but they're going to totally change the the brand and the idea that they've probably had since inception so someone like one of your favourite most uh, or one of your favourite campaigns recently was the, the Gillette campaign oh the Gillette campaign <laughs> oh my god I so hated every explain it for anyone listening there so what do you want to play it right we'll play it there and we'll talk about it after Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual Toxic harassment. Masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say making the same old excuses boys will be boys boys will be boys boys will be boys but something finally changed allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment and there will be no going back because we we believe in the best in men men need to hold other men accountable smile sweetie come on to say the right thing, to act the right way. Not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big and small. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today be the men of tomorrow okay so there so look traditionally anyone that knows Gillette it's definitely 100% kind of a masculine brand you know we've seen all the adverts as we talked before handsome guy looking in the mirror shaving himself uh, girlfriend wife walks in pats his face as we said another blade another blade that's basically it but they totally changed for this they did and look there's my issue with this wasn't necessarily what they were trying to do um i mean what they were trying to do in this particular case is um denounce or say that we need to change or get rid of certain forms of toxic masculinity and um, my big problem with this ad was that it started equating kind of non-serious issues with very very serious issues so at one point they talk about oh yeah boys will be boys and during the ad they're showing two kids scuffling on the floor after playing a game of football. like yeah. what's wrong with that like do you mean there's nothing like that is how kids behave do you yeah. know what I mean they go and they fucking kick the shit out of each other and then the next frame 
they talk about sexual assault. Yeah. Now, do you know what I mean? Comparing those two two topics. When you actually each break other, it down, when you watch it, probably you're not really might not realize this as much. But when you actually start breaking it down, you start seeing these things. So definitely, you know, you're seeing what you're sorry, you're hearing one thing from the audio, but probably after listening to us, maybe talking about go and watch it and see what you think. Yeah, you and, and no, definitely. And look, it, it's it's just one of those examples of a brand probably trying to do a good thing. Again, like you said, Gillette being a very, very masculine brand and they're very, very important culturally. So therefore, if they want to change what society's view of masculinity is and conventional forms of um, hegemonic masculinity would have been associated with, you know, strength, um, grit, um, um, winning, competition, all these kind of things. Um, in a lot of cases, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just how that then comes out in society. So again, if you if if you if you can, if you um have those sorts of traits and it's talking about sexual assault, that's obviously terrible. Mm. But the way that they paint it there is that there are certain traits and characteristics that you would associate masculinity, which they and they demonize all of them, um and there was no real need for it. So I just think the way that they constructed the ad more so than the message was really really poor, um. And again, like we all, and I think as well as that too, it came from, the ad came from a place of absolute negativity. It almost presented that like all men are this way and we should behave in this way yeah. as well. It's kind of like men watching out for men and keeping an eye on your friends kind of a thing. Is which we, which is what a lot of us do yeah. anyway, do you know what I mean? Like, or, if, or, if one, or if one of the lads was acting the maggot, you pull him to the side and go, come here, would you cop the fuck on? I kind of like this bar. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that, like, that, like that's how... Like that's how a lot of that's how a lot of people behave. So I just I look I just thought it came from a position of of absolute um, absolute negativity. And again, I'm not saying that the message was wrong. They were trying to promote something positive, but the way they executed it by again equating diff- issues of mass variances in in seriousness um, and wrapping this all up in this idea of toxic masculinity. I think the ad kind of. I said it to my students last year. The ad said everything without actually saying anything. There was nothing there, and that was really, really important. To I think that's just, I think it's just something to get across more so than anything else. I think then you look at that then, and we might talk maybe about some brands that probably did it right. And I suppose definitely my style of marketing would be if I'm doing content, I don't want it to be too salesy. And I think so many brands have gone down this route and. You know they've they've done a uh, an ad around this st- particular topic at the time whatever it is um and then they throw in a bit of product placement or they you know your product is basically going to solve this issue and probably the first one that comes to my mind when we talk about this is the Pepsi with um Jenner one of them Kendall Jenner whatever one of them it was. One, one of, of the Jen one of the many yeah, Jenners uh, it was definitely a business deal it wasn't because she was you know passionate about this anyway no, anyway. no. But look, she got absolutely ridiculed for a Pepsi ad that it was around the protest. And at the end of it, for anyone that hasn't seen it, she basically walked up to one of the, the police officers, handed him a Pepsi. He's drinking the Pepsi and everyone's friends. A Pepsi is going to solve world problems. That got absolutely ridiculed as well. Um, but purely from the reason of they were, from my point of view anyway, it was just way too salesy. You know, it was just trying to hop on the bandwagon to promote their product. But I think, it. Uh, so for me, if you're doing this woke marketing or whatever, what you're doing has to be purposeful. It has to make a difference and there has to be a degree of reputation or financial risk that comes with that uh, woke marketing if it's actually to be meaningful. Otherwise, you're just doing it to sell your product. Now, in, at some level, brands are trying to sell their products via either trying to increase brand equity or via to actually sell a product to a to a, to a consumer. Um, with the Generad, it was, it was literally the the Pepsi board of directors got together and says, what's a hot topic at the moment? And let's do an ad about that. And to be fair, that's where a lot of marketers derive their inspiration. What I would say to my my students when I'm looking at the work of Douglas Hall, for example, who would be a renowned academic in this idea of cultural branding, is that you look for cultural flashpoints or things that are happening on the margins of society and then trying to make them mainstream essentially or using cultural flashpoints as kind of inspiration for your content which is often user driven as opposed to being brand driven what popped into my head when you said that was like looking back to the old like you know it's probably not even thought about now anymore but you know you're looking at the whole idea of coffee and the fair trade and you know and all this and you're 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 taking an issue that's happening at the moment and you're just building it into your strategy and building into a you know good relationship you know with your customers and showing that you're there for helping out or worlds or any you know charities that are going on at the moment yeah like i mean look i mean there, there's 
and again look some some brands do this well but i mean in a lot of cases you look at marketers engaging in walking just like you're just doing it because everyone else is doing it there's nothing meaningful here there's no financial risk here um and i also think that if you have a walk if you are woke as a brand it has to be built into your strategy it just can't it can't just be content the amount, yeah. the amount of content that people came out with which again the gillette ad was one around black lives matters a huge amount of companies yeah. just put up one minute clips on instagram without having ever contributed yeah. to the black just lives the, movement the at black, all black picture black post or whatever out of nowhere yeah exactly and again that's something that brands that that's something that brands shouldn't do and be able to get away with like again i, I said it last week Brands need to be criticized and held to account. How can a how can a company um we say company X, I can't think of one off the top of my head, say, Oh no, we support Black Lives Matters when again they don't have one ethnic minority in their board of directors. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so you you can't do a that. Post on Facebook is not really Exactly, supporting. it doesn't do anything. So all you're doing is and again, there's nothing wrong with it's support. Raising, it's raising awareness, you know, for the cause that's going on. But, but as, as a, brand, a brand, you can do more. Yes. You can do way more. With the firepower that these brands have and with the amount of money they invest in their creative and in the distribution of that creative, they can be promoting very, very positive messages But while it's also doing good things at the same time. And I think that's something that just... And again, look, it's grand for me to say this, but I, just, I, just, I would just love if brands were called out a lot more. And people are starting to call them out a lot more on social media in particular for kind of... Again, virtue signaling, let's call it, when actually their their impact is, is quite minimal. I think um one that kind of sticks in my head, and it's obviously, look, it's probably up there at the top of woke marketing campaigns, would definitely be uh, Nike with um, Colin Kaepernick, uh, basically with his The Dream Big campaign. This is kind of divided, I suppose, because look, it got you know some negativity, got some positivity, but a brand of that size they can they can afford to do something like this and almost lose a bit of their customers lose a bit of their their market share i suppose but it'll gain in other areas so yeah no that that, that 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 whole campaign was genius it was the first real woke campaign you saw and you were like oh fuck they know what they're doing like, yeah. do you know what i mean really really knew what they were doing but again it goes back to what i was saying earlier on for something like that to work there has to be a degree of financial risk and there has to be a degree of reputational risk. Mm-hmm. And you might remember at the time when that ad went up because um, Colin Kaepernick at the time was uh, taking the knee and he was refusing to stand for the American National Anthem, which again, a load of old white people probably who live in Alabama really, really took offence to that. And there was loads of them posting up on Instagram them burning their like, trainers and burning their... So at one point, that shows kind of brand hate but it also kind of shows that that brand was so important. It was seen as a very, very American brand. Um, and then when they did that, all of their all of their kind of symbols that they had built into their brand over years and years and years and years. And again, it was kind of linked back to their old strategy. Nike's been built around the underground, the under, the underground, the underdog symbol. But do you think there, when you say that now, is does that kind of go back to the whole... You know, one of the, the main marketing or sorry news kind of uh, lines that all press is good press basically. Well, well, no, but see, Nike, see, Nike are smart. They don't just kind of blankly go all press is good press because that that's just nonsense. That's yeah. just not. That's just not the case. Nike actually did the maths on this. So Gartner did a study on this, and it's actually really really interesting. So if you look at Nike's overall revenue, about sixty percent of that is outside of the United States, and this ad was only controversial in the United States and anyone who lives outside of the United States thinks the United States is a basket case when it comes to racial injustice yeah. everyone look, just looks in and goes what is going on in that crazy country like particularly when it comes to race issues so then if you dig down a little bit further two thirds of their uh, customer base are under the age of 35 so in the United States if you're under 35 you're going to be more progressive you're going to be more socialist um, it's at the age where you are where you've got high disposable income um, so therefore these customers are going to be more attractive automatically to a company like Nike so even though they would have lost a lot of customers um, who again would have um, would have been very very critical of someone not standing for the American National Anthem they would have gained a huge amount more than that and they would have done the maths on that in terms of the demographics this is going to be positive towards who's going to take it negatively where's the purchasing power where's the spending power so Again, there's a lot more science behind this stuff. This wasn't Nike just turning around and saying, we want to do a good thing. This was Nike going, okay, this is a chance for us to make an impact. Adidas, 
Under Armour, all of these guys, they're not going to do something like this and we can really, really increase our brand equity here with a really, really powerful cohort of consumers who now are at the height of their spending power and that spending power is only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So again, for brands to switch the narrative a small bit here, if you're doing woke marketing, yes, it needs to be purposeful and it has to be meaningful, but it has to be embedded into a reasoned logical just strategy not, not as well. Thing. No, yeah. exactly. You know, it has to become part of your overall brand narrative. Um, and again, you have to do things. There has to be purposeful. There has to be meaning to what you you're to doing. Show, show that it's actually of an interest to you, not just I have to do it. It's something that's happening. Or look, there's a good angle. We'll go down this route. You know, something like that. A question for you: Do you think so? This a lot of this we're obviously talking about big brands. Do you think customers? want brands to make a stance on this oh yeah I think no I think I think customers I think customers particularly like if you go back to a couple of episodes ago I talked about the symbolic meaning of brands and if you're consuming a brand it's not just a utility you don't buy an Adidas jumper just because it keeps you warm it's because if you buy an Adidas jumper it says something about you rather than if you buy from a lesser branded product for example mm. so the same if you're driving a certain car if you go to certain restaurants the world is dictated by brands and what um, and um, Using how we form. consume brands basically shows who we are essentially like yeah and Apple your favourite <laughs> brand um, so do customers want it I don't think customers seek it out necessarily like I don't think as much as we probably should, customers seek out brands that go, they're an ethical brand, they're, they're not an ethical brand, and so on and so forth. And even, again, going back to critique, like, I mean, with Fairtrade, you mentioned it You mentioned it earlier on, there's a lot of issues with Fairtrade as well, if you actually look at yeah. the business model and how it actually works and so on and so forth. So, again, we need to be a bit more critical about how we actually look at these different things. But beyond that, I think it's it's also looking at how, how brands react to certain things in certain situations. So you mentioned a while ago that every brand latching on to Black Lives Matters, for example, um, just as a support piece. With the power that brands have and the revenue that they spend on content creation and distribution of that content, they should be investing a huge amount more in those societal issues that can actually be meaningful. Um, and these can be revenue generators as well. Like You would have remembered a number of years ago the brand Tom's. Oh, and yeah. again, the brand Tom's like terrible quality of shoe, but the whole idea was that if you yeah. bu- if you buy um a pair of Tom's from us, we're gonna ship one um pair to whatever Africa or third world country, whatever the whatever the case may be. So again, that was years ago and they were one of the first to build their whole strategy and ethos around doing good and your man made a lot of money in the process. <laughs> so I mean you know what I mean? There's 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 profit making Whereas what I think you're getting a lot of at the moment is what you refer to as kind of woke capitalism, where you're just doing it to almost maintain your brand standing in society yeah. rather than doing something which is actually impactful. I think another point uh, that's important to make is, looking back maybe a decade ago, the only way that a lot of brands would have gotten their message out was maybe through print, radio, television. Obviously now we have the power that is social media, and I think a lot of this has been purely driven because of social media it wouldn't happen if it wouldn't have happened to the same extent if we didn't have social media and because now customers like you know you said they're able to get involved so they're able to spread the word a bit more whether that is positive or negative it's going to drive you know the 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 message tenfold all over the world yeah like i mean look there there was the i mean one of the best examples i saw that was um was um, Greenpeace's advert around Lego's partnership at Shell a number of years ago where they had the the theme tune from the new Lego movie Everything is Awesome and then they did a movie around the Lego characters being covered in, in oil from Shell and like Greenpeace had been trying for something like 50 years to get Lego to end their partnership with Shell but because of social media that um, video was able to gain organic traction and virality essentially online and at that point Lego said oh this is now this is now people power real people power we can't compete with this we need to change our we need to change our change our strategy but I think what social media does as well is that it allows us to hold brands to account a lot more and brands have to react positively um, to certain issues so you asked me a minute, a minute ago do brand or do consumers look out for brands who do good things in certain instances yeah absolutely they do but what they definitely do is that consumers look out for brands who react negatively to some sort of a societal issue yeah. so the one that stood out for me i think it was last year it was when 
um, if Starbucks in the United States closed down 8,000 of its stores and they took something like, was it over 100,000 um, employees um, and did a day of uh, racial bias training because there was two um, black people arrested incorrectly um, in one of their stores after a store employee basically uh, reported them and they didn't actually do anything wrong at all. So again, that's a brand seeing that their employees have done something wrong their employees are representative of their brand and we are taking corrective action of closing 8,000 stores for a day to really show that we care about this particular issue and again Starbucks haven't been great in the Black Lives Matter stuff either so but it's just an but example even, but even when you mention Starbucks there and like you know whether you know of their content or you follow them or not the kind of culture I suppose that these kind of brands have built up it's not out of place for them probably to do something like this no, it's not. And again, like, look, I suppose what you're looking for brands these days, you're looking for accountability. Like, if, if a brand does something wrong, they should come out and say, we did something wrong and this is what we're doing to correct it. Particularly when it comes to something as important as racial bias or LGBT community, LGBT rights, um, equality, women's rights, all these type of things. But again, that's an example of a company actively doing something. It wasn't just a press release or something like that, or this employee was fired they basically identified, no, okay, our staff clearly are not trained to understand whatever the issue was, they don't have the background of it, and therefore we need to actually roll this out across all our employees. So again, an active way of actually engaging with the issue that they're solving. Mm. Um, I think following on from what you said there a minutes ago, kind of probably to wrap it up is, a lot of companies that we've obviously been talking to are multi-million and billion dollar companies, you know, and probably some people would say it's probably best to leave it to them because they have the... The teams they have the maybe some people might say they have the brains to do it and they have the money to do it but as you kind of said earlier it's not so much just about the content that you put out it's about the whole culture what you stand for and what you get involved in so I do but think this, but this but this is but this is where brands need to actually take account this is where there's an absolute conflict between a lot of what brands messages are and what they actually do and um, there's a term for this which is greenwashing where mm. your communication is not reflective at all of what you do in reality and like I said before there's something wrong with you putting out a message supporting something when you don't actually support it at all there's a difference between that and you putting out a message saying you support something and then in the background you're actually detrimental yeah. to that particular cause so like two examples of that one is a fairly basic example but around the time of COVID-19 and there was a huge problem with Amazon um, in terms of the, the conditions that their employees were um, were working in so Amazon released uh, a piece of content which they called um, kind of heroic employees and the struggle that their employees were going through but they were going to get your packages to you on time and they were going to keep the world moving and then within weeks there were strikes all across Amazon for the terrible conditions that some Amazon workers we're actually working in so again an example stunt at the time again and just a simple example of a company not following through with their own ethos or their own kind of ideals that they promote to the promote to the world and another example of this for example um is disney so if you do you have disney plus i do so recently there was a film released on disney plus called um mulan oh yeah um and when they were uh, releasing that there was nothing necessarily wrong with the film but at the end of the film it, was, they, it wasn't as good as the original Sorry. i didn't watch it um but that, that's not the point <laughs> I, was, I was pro i was protesting i wasn't protesting i, I protested not to watch yeah exactly so what basically happened is we all know the 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 um the story um young Chinese girl goes off to fight in a war instead of her instead of her father, and they Disney filmed this in the Xinjiang uh, region of um the western province in China, and in this particular province there's two million um and I think I'm pronouncing this right um Uyghur Muslims um who are in concentration camps, and there's basically an ethnic genocide going on. Uh, between the Chinese Communist um, Party and this particular ethnic minority in that particular Chinese region. Disney, in the credits of the Mulan film, basically credited eight government departments from that specific region. Now, I mean, the scenery, if you see the film, like I've just seen the trailer, is absolutely spectacular. There are other areas of China where they could have gone to film that, to film that movie, but they went to a place and they thanked... Chinese governmental departments who are engaging in genocide essentially so again when you have a company like Disney and Disney do this the whole time where they have a real emphasis on inclusion in their hiring and casting policies and then all of a sudden they're giving a huge amount of credit and investing a huge amount of capital in a region which is the absolute antithesis of that 
And again, Disney have gotten huge criticism for this over the last number of um, the last number of weeks. But again, it's not so much woke marketing, but it's brands who have a certain narrative that they're always kind of whiter than white. And then actually, when you peel back the peel back the layers and start looking what they're actually doing, what they're doing is actually very very damaging and can be quite detrimental. Amazon example um, would be one. The Disney example is at the complete other extreme. Um, but again it's all about like for me and again I'm sure the listeners are getting a bit sick of me talking about it but <laughs> brands need to be held to account a lot more because they are incredibly powerful vehicles in society in terms of what they do mm. um, and that's something that we need to do a lot more of so as I was saying they're following on from that I think as we said what we've mentioned tonight is probably a lot of big top end biggest in the world companies um, I suppose this is not something that's just purely for them local brands can do this as well but as you said you know you need to follow through on and make a part of your strategy and make a part of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis bringing your team uh, building the culture around it and i think any business can do it but just make sure to do it properly and stand by what you're you are doing yeah and look look local brands do um like there's a brand local here call center i think they went down to was it a disabled or an old folks home or something like that i can't remember what it was no exactly and they basically took was it a thousand employees one day and just renovated the whole place? It's just brilliant mm. again, giving back to the community and stuff like that. But again, don't underestimate the power of local brands in terms of in terms of what they do. Um, but what I think what I think more so is that with a local with a local business, and I just find this from from my own kind of client base in a lot of cases, they'll do a lot of good work and they don't want the credit for it. Yeah, because um, it's almost seen a small as, local business. It looks like they're trying to be cocky or arrogant about what they're and doing. arrogant about what they're doing. And again, look, there there is a point to that. Like there is there is a lot to be said for doing good for the sake of doing good and not yeah. looking for the publicity afterwards. Like if everyone did that, the world would be a far greater, <laughs> uh, more utopian place. But and and again, look, there's and look and look. I'm going to be honest. If there was a if there was a, a company that I was involved in, and they were doing something really really good. I'd be the first to go. Yeah, can we can we make a video about that? Can we can we can we release it? Can we do a press release on this? Whatever the case is, and again, sometimes it's just good to do good things as yeah. a business owner. Word, and word was spread, of them. Word yeah. was, and that and that is like I mean, word of mouth these days it's is really really important. And if you have a consumer promoting your brand because you did something good for them or you did something good for a particular community event, you will get your awards in the long term if you're doing this on a consistent um, on a consistent basis. Perfect. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. And uh, once again, thanks to everyone who listened. Uh, once again, you can follow us across all social media platforms that we're on. You can subscribe to us, and uh, hopefully, we'll be back again next week with another can episode. Can we talk about Trump? Can we talk about Trump? Can no, we talk no, about no, Trump? no. Cut it there now, right? Thanks very much, guys. See you later.